the the smartest entrepreneurs are people that are able to hire and work with people that are smarter than themselves. I have people that are smarter than me who are able to champion the the vision. My entrepreneurs struggle with social capital. A lot of black entrepreneurs struggle with social capital because we don't have the rich uncle. We don't have the rich aunt. Before we jump into this next episode, I just want to take a moment and say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who supported this little but growing community of ours. I really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Without you, we really wouldn't be here. Thank you for every subscription and all oh, your comments. They've been a pleasure to read and so inspiring and so uplifting. Thank you, thank you, thank you for going on this ride with us. If you're watching this and you haven't subscribed, what are you waiting for? Please click the subscribe button below so that you can be the first to know whenever we upload a new episode or any other content. As usual, we're coming to you live from the Cliffside Boutique Getaway, which is a spectacular secluded getaway for business and pleasure right in the heart of Northcliffe. Today, I'm so excited to bring a powerful guest. She's a broadcaster and she's an advocate for change in our society. I'm so excited to be in conversation today with Faith Mangope. She is an incredible CEO entrepreneur, founder of the Faith Mangope Technology and Leadership Institute. She's also a broadcaster and an advocate for change in our society. Thank you so much for joining us, Faith. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to actually be here. What a lovely place, actually. Thank you. It's beautiful, right? <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely place. Absolutely beautiful. Here, five bedrooms if you want to come stay here. It's Oof. absolutely stunning. All right. Um, the first time I ever met you, if I'm to recollect, was about 20... 16 or 2017 in your hometown in Bumalang. I don't know if you remember that. I was emceeing an event. It was one of um, Emmanuel Bonocos events and you were one of the speakers there. And I, I had the pleasure to introduce you and you spoke so well. And I was like, this woman is a firecracker. And your story and what you've done is just impactful. It's just huge. So I've, I've, I haven't forgotten you since that moment. And I said, you know, you are one guest in particular I want our viewers and our community to hear from because you think about entrepreneurship and about our society from a different lens, from a different viewpoint. And the way in which you think about it is also not selfish, right? It's not just about you, you, you. It's about how do I serve? How do I become part of society and become a change maker in society but in so doing you have your hands in a lot of pots right <laughs> you're broadcasting doing television doing radio you've got businesses and i'm like running one business is already very hard difficult how are you able to spread yourself across all of those different areas in business well, first of all, Insula, thank you so much for, for, for having me. Um, I mean, I'm hoping throughout that conversation that you and I are going to have today, we are able to liberate a lot of minds, but also I think 
mine is to ensure that people learn how to forgive themselves, um, forgive themselves and be kinder to themselves as well, especially as entrepreneurs. I think that that's what we lack a lot. We lack forgiveness of self and we lack kindness to self. Um, and, and the truth of the matter is I've managed to streamline some of those pots, you know, as you were speaking, and really to look at them as passion projects. So, for example, the Faith Mangope Technology and Leadership Institute, it was how can I not start, you know, with everything that is happening, especially when it comes to the conversations around the fourth industrial revolution, how is it that we can best capacitate communities, how do we capacitate particularly women who come from disadvantaged backgrounds so that they also are given an equal opportunity to access jobs right and I think a lot of times we like speaking about how we've empowered the girl child we've empowered the girl child but the truth of the matter is the statistics when it comes to unemployment in South Africa the black African woman still sits last on those statistics where unemployment is concerned I think it's about 51% or so of black African women in this country are unemployed 51% that's only 49% that are employed we can't sit back and not do anything somebody has to do something and I think that came in from a very passionate space um, we've actually gone into a private arm so yes the on entrepreneurship side of me uh, also takes over because I then launched um, Femtali Tech, which is actually the Faith Mangope Technology and Leadership Institute, but the technology side of it, which is a private arm of it, where we basically um, offer technology solutions to companies as well. And the unique selling proposition about it is that we, we actually hire DevOps that are female to be able to provide some of those solutions. Um, and, and the truth is you, you, you do something, right? It's passion. And, and I Maybe it's a part of me that gets bored quickly, but if I was not doing something, I think I, I wouldn't cope. I think my mind is so creative and I think I think about so many things um, all at the same time that if I hadn't started something, I would have been a very frustrated woman. Um, and it's not for all of us. Some of us are really good at one thing and are able to just focus on that one thing and make it a success and kudos. And I think it's fantastic. Some of us are so creative that, you know, on one side I'm broadcasting and then on the other side it's a technology institute and the other side. But I will also say this, I've got help. Right. The, the smartest entrepreneurs are people that are able to hire and work with people that are smarter than themselves. And I've been very deliberate about that. The Technology and Leadership Institute is bigger than me, so it's run outside of me even. Um, I've got a full team that runs it, including a CEO that oversees the, the working of it. So that's that for me, it allows me to focus my uh, talents and specialties on other aspects. The technology side, the private arm of the Technology Institute um, has got somebody else that is running it as well. Um, then there, there are other aspects of me that allow me to, to have people that are smarter than me who are able to champion the, the vision. Mine is to envision a better South Africa and a better continent for all. I've been very privileged, really privileged, that I've had people jump on board the vision who said to me, we want to go along with you on the ride. And I think that's what any serial entrepreneur can do. Have people that are smarter than you, number one, in your business, but also have people that are able to buy into the vision and are able to implement it on your behalf, so much so that it becomes bigger than you. Mm, for sure. You know, as you're talking, you're talking about the importance to have people around you that help you grow. And when I look at the top earning entrepreneurs continentally or even in the world, I find that most of them normally concentrate on one particular venture, be it opera with the Oprah Winfrey show first. We all knew that's what she was about until then she started investing in other businesses or Mark Zuckerberg with, uh, with Meta or Jeff Bezos with Amazon. It feels like this one concentration on one particular idea at a time that would then help them make it bigger. 
do you feel that by doing many things, because obviously when you're doing many things, you're not giving 100%. I know so because I think that's the mental illness I have. I struggle with focusing on one item because I'm also a creative. So my mind is always coming up with new ideas and new things to do. And then um, I've tried to say, at any given point, I should only have two things that I'm doing, right? So now it's this podcast and a new meal kit delivery service that I'm planning to launch towards the end of this year. And before that, it was with Ralinka Media. So by doing so, I feel like, okay, I'm managing a little bit, but I'm still not giving 100% of myself to each of those because I can't do it, right? Because I've got two things. Um, and I felt that by doing so, I am limiting my growth or scalability possibilities. Um, something that could possibly take me a year to do, I end up doing it in 18 months, for example, just because I'm not giving it my full, full attention. Do you feel that has been a part of your journey and your story with having such a diverse portfolio of businesses and work in broadcasting? I think... For me personally, I really have been fortunate in the sense that four years ago, just four years ago, we started the Faith Mangope Technology and Leadership Institute. And at the time, of course, I was a broadcaster. You know, I still am a broadcaster. Um, and when we launched, immediately I had people who were willing to raise their hands up to say, we're going to help with this vision. I had uh, somebody that was saying, we will be your first seed capital into this vision. Um, it was not easy to sell it, but I think what has happened is that I've utilized the platforms that I've been given to actually help with the businesses that I'm in. And in so doing, you, you make the doors open much more quicker and you allow for your name to speak for you a lot because I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with social capital. A lot of black entrepreneurs struggle with social capital because we don't have the rich uncle. We don't have the rich aunt. We don't have the rich dad that is going to give us $2 million to start a chain of companies and start a chain of hotels. And before you know it, you're the president of the United States. We don't have the luxury of the rich father and the rich uncle. So what we have to do is be able to diversify ourselves so that we build up our social capital so that the social capital is able to open up the doors for us in our businesses. The doors that would have taken 18 months to open, you get to open them in 12 months because of your social capital. Because you walk into the room and somebody says, ah, Ancilla, I've heard about you. You do. And automatically your social capital speaks for you because that's your reputation. You don't have to sell yourself as much as a person who's unknown uh, completely because there is a reputation that precedes you. I've been fortunate that my reputation precedes me. If you do not know me from you know, the Technology and Leadership Institute, you know me from television. If you don't know me from television, you know me from radio. There is some kind of association that you can put to me. So what I've decided to do is not be narcissistic about the fact that I've got a platform. I, I use the platform to be able to benefit the, the interests that I've got. And the interest that I've got is ensuring that employment and employability happens in our country, in our continent, in our lifetime. The second part of it is being able to increase and capacitate our human capital, right, and grow our human capital by creating employment. My, my core passion is creating employment, is eradicating poverty because it comes from a very deep place. I understand poverty, and when you understand poverty, you, you do things intentionally, and you also uh, plant yourself in places that will help in the eradication of that poverty. Mm. So that's what the Technology Institute seems to do. It's, it's to capacitate 
people, young women and very soon young men, so that they're able to grow. I mean, in four years, we've gone from 10 to 25 to 40 to 80, right? Things that I, I would have taken me longer, I could do in a shorter, in four years, right? And simply because of the social capital. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it helps. It helps, really. For sure. I love that you're touching on, on human capital, right? Because if you're to build any successful business, you need to have the right people and the right team around you to help you build that vision. However, it's there's a, a lot more people who don't know what they're doing than people who know what they're doing. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge sports fan, but recently I, I started watching rugby. My brother, Walter, is an incredible rugby, rugby player. He's in university right now, and I know that he's going to be playing for the Springboks very, very soon. He's amazing. He's incredible. And so because of him, I've been trying to learn a little bit more about rugby and understand what rugby is about. And obviously I've been following the World Cup now. And I saw the uproar, um, especially internationally, when uh, the coach... Uh, decided to announce the 7-1 split, right? And everybody got so scared. And I looked at it from a, an entrepreneur perspective. I said, this is brilliant. Imagine if you were to be an entrepreneur so good that people are just scared of you when they hear your name, especially your competitors. They know you're going into, into competition with them. They get scared. And when they see your strategy, listen, they lose their marbles. Um, how amazing that would be if, if that would were to happen. And I also realized that they're able to instill that sort of fear um, on their competitors because they work well as a team together. So even if it's a 7-1 split and people are like, oh, it's dangerous, somebody gets hurt, now you don't have somebody to replace them with. But because they know that they work so well as a team, they know even with that kind of um, aggressive strategy, they can still make it. And and they played such an incredible, incredible um, game, even if we ended up losing. But it was such a tight, incredible game. And that's the kind of game I want to play as an entrepreneur, where people, when they hear that I'm going to be in that sector, or they hear of my name, they're like, oh my goodness, we need to pull our socks up because this girl is coming into the space. But I also understand that to be able to do that, I need to have the right kind of team. And in researching you, I saw you in one of your interviews where you said human capital is the new oil. That really stuck with me because oil is such a resource to the continent, right? And if human capital can be compared to that kind of resource, what kind of measures should we be taking now? What does it mean for us young entrepreneurs who are operating in South Africa right now, for us to be able to see it as new oil and mining human capital to be able to instill the springbok kind of fear in our communities and, and the people that we're competing against? Yeah. I think first it starts off with the leadership team. I think that a lot of companies fail, especially because the people that are the kitchen cabinet, I call them, or the people that are closest to them, their closest circle, their confidants, most of the time the confidants are not loyal. And when your confidant is not loyal, your business will fail because the confidant will lead you down. And, and again, for me, it's being very deliberate about who I surround myself with. For example, the CEO of the Faith Bangope Technology and Leadership Institute is a Jewish woman. Um, white Jewish female who is older than I am, more experienced than I am, has got um, you know tons of, of, of decades of experience when it comes to the realm of technology, computer science, and the like. In fact, she was in fintech. 
I'm very deliberate about that relationship because I surround myself with people that have seen it, that have been there, but also are able to guide the next process. And I'm humble enough, and she's humble enough to, number one, recognize that I am still a leader, but I'm a leader that is willing to take counsel. So your, the team is very important. Who are your core team members, right? Who deals with your finances? Who deals with the running? Who deals with the operations? Who deals with the, the, the hiring and the firing of people? Who is in that space where when you are tired, because entrepreneurs get tired, I get tired, right? And it's not even about physical tiredness. It's about emotional tiredness mm -hmm. because you have to put so much of yourself out there. Right? And when I get tired, I need people that are so attuned and so emotionally um, actualized that they're able to feed in and pour back into my life, especially when I've been poured out. So who is in your team? Then secondly, human capital is the new oil. Right? And simply because if we are able, and I often look at developing nations or nations that are similar to ourselves, for example, if you have to look at the way that Singapore was able to grow, you have to look at the way that South Korea was able to grow, what was their biggest focus point? Their biggest focus point was looking at upskilling their people so that their people can be exported through the skills that they have and then the people are able then to plow back into the economy. Upskill your people so that your people become globally recognizable, but also global utilities that are able to pull back into the country. Mm. How do you, you get to a point of getting the right people in your team if you're a startup? Say, I'm Temba, I've got a, a shoe shining business, for yeah. example, that's doing really well and I want to scale. How do I find the right talent and how do I ensure that the right talent is the right talent for the business? Because you could be great, but not the right fit for the business. 100%. Um, so I'm going to say two things that are, <laughs> one may be seen as controversial, <laughs> but the other one is also something that I do. Number one, I pray. I, I, I pray. I, I, I don't do anything where I do not pray first, right? So it does not mean that, you know, and sometimes God says no, you know, because you may pray and you say, I really want this. And God says, not this one, you know. Um, so I start off my life in prayer. My life is anchored around prayer. So first it's, my prayer goes something like this. God, I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. I have a vision. I have a purpose. I want something bigger for my life. Help me get the right people to fulfill it. Very simple prayer. But then in that also, you, you have to be able to be agile enough to call it when it doesn't work, right? So when you get into a relationship, and, and, and I mean, I've, I've had to lose some members and gain some members along the way, but the truth is, if it doesn't work, be agile enough to call it before, before you get really entrenched in it. Because what ends up happening is that, unfortunately, we get afraid of saying, this is not working. And when we keep on holding on to dead weight or something that is not working, it is to the detriment of our overall business, but also to our overall purpose as well as our, our, our mandate when it comes to this particular business. So I, I don't mince my words. If it does work, it works for all of us. But if it does not work, be agile enough to say, actually, you know what? I don't think we're a right fit. And, and that in itself is okay. We don't have to be a right fit. Being able to build those strong teams also needs that you means that you need to be a, a great leader within the company mm. so that those teams have somebody to look up to but leadership in itself is difficult right especially if you never had examples of good leadership mm. maybe you've never worked 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 in corporate and you don't know what good leadership 
looks like. And there's a lot of different types of leaders. Um, some of my favorite, for example, are visionary leaders, for example, like Elon Musk. I like the way in which he, he, he champions his team around innovation. So you know that if you're going to be part of his team, you need to be a visionary and, and, and follow that lead. Or uh, leaders that are more servant leaders, like what Mahatma Gandhi was, or charismatic leaders such as Steve Jobs. What kind of leader are you? And what made you choose that part or did it choose you? I don't think I chose the type of leader that I am. I think that automatically I found myself in spaces where I was demonstrating that type of characteristic. Um, I am a visionary. Um, I see the bigger picture. So much so that even in my house, um, and, and I love properties, so I've got a few properties, and even in my house you'd often hear me say, I don't like to deal with the small things. Don't ask me about the curtain rail. Talk to me about whether or not the house has got the bond and how we're getting it. And how. So I love looking at the bigger picture. Um, I'm very, very tuned to the bigger picture. I'm a very much a bigger picture person. I'm the type of person that will say to you, this is where we're going and we're going there in five, 10 years time. And that's why I need people in my life who are able to say, Faith, in five, 10 years time, that's where we will be. But today let's focus on the building blocks that will get us to that destination. So I'm very much a visionary. I'm a person that sees five, 10 years on. Um, but also I think I'm, uh, I'm a very empathetic leader. And, and, and empathy must never be, be used as, as a moment of weakness because that does not mean that when you tell me that you are sick and your cat has died, it automatically allow you to get away with anything. It, also, it just means that I have got a, an attuned understanding of the human spirit and I genuinely want us to succeed. I, I'm a leader that wants people to succeed. I want us to all make it. I want us to be, all be providers. I want us to be able to um, be autonomous in thinking, in economic standing and the like. And, and I think that's been the way that I have led um, and that allows me to describe myself as a leader that is more vision oriented, more bigger picture oriented. Um, but I'm also a leader that's very bottom line. Mm. So tell me how much it's going to cost me. That, that's the type of leader I am. So what are we looking at here? Yes, we're going through the numbers, but tell me how much it's actually going to cost me in the bottom line. Because I think we, we, we spend a lot of time around the fact that we never get to the, to the root cause of things. So I've had to accept that um, even that is even in my, my character. you know. And, and the truth is when you are that kind of a person, that is very bigger picture oriented, you need people that are able to see the fine print. Mm. You need people that are able to see the detail. And, and I have, and again, I say it with absolute humility, I have been fortunate that the people that are in my space are very detailed. They, they're very process driven, detail driven. Um, I will say, let's take over the world. And they will say to me, okay, but let's start with the province, mm. you know? Um, and, and that's how we build. And, and that's why it's so important and it's imperative to surround yourself with people that are different to you and different to your style of leadership. Yeah, for sure. And I think for you to be that kind of visionary leader, there's a lot that has to happen to you, maybe in childhood or in your journey in life to be able to see things beyond what is here and beyond the now. 100%. Uh, and one interesting part about your journey is that you credit a lot of who you are and your visionariness to your grandmother um, growing up in, in Bumalanga and the impact that she had in your life. Is there any particular point in your childhood at that time that you can pick and pinpoint and say, it was at this time where the biggest impact in my life was made that impacted who I am today? Sure. Um, 
I'm going to be in very controversial as well. Trauma has impacted me. Trauma. I, though I grew up in a space where, yes, I have been very fortunate. I loved my grandmother and she loved me. Um, but in my growing up, in my, in my, you know, early teens, in my late teens, I was exposed to a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. Um, and the trauma at its, at the time got me to a point where I've actually had to accept circumstance or know that circumstances are only fleeting. And I think when you go through levels of trauma and you go through levels of heartbreak, you get to a point where your human spirit is tested. You either stay in the trauma and you let the trauma define you and the circumstances define you, or you realize that there is something better on the other side and there's something bigger on the other side. So for example, when I was 12 years old, I was molested on Christmas Eve by two boys. I could have let that trauma define who I am. I could have let that trauma make me hate men. I could have let that trauma make me a person that is just absolutely broken. The trauma in itself made me realize that we have to create safe spaces so that women can feel safe to be who they are. And I think partly the Faith Mangopo Technology and Leadership Institute came out of a need to create spaces where not only we upskill and develop people, but women feel safe enough to be who they are, knowing that nobody will touch them. And that came from me, from a trauma of having been touched inappropriately by two boys when Mm. I was 12. Did you have the language then to process and articulate what had happened and even come to that decision of saying, I'm not going to let the trauma trauma define me? No, absolutely not. I think it only came in when I was 18, um, where I made a decision that I was supposed to go to counseling. And, and at the time, I was, I was earmarked at school to be a prefect, and we just had like a, a little mini counseling. And remember time in schools, we used to have like a, the, the school counselor. Mm-hmm. And the school counselor said to me, hey, you look like you're carrying a lot. And then I just kind of spewed everything out. And then we started on a, a trail of counseling. And that's why I truly believe in therapy. In fact, I believe that entrepreneurs should have a therapist. We should have somebody that we go to, a safe space that we go to where we get to unleash and also release our trauma and our fears and our brokenness so that we can be better people for the people that we are working with. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I did not have the language at the time, but as I grew up, I found that language. And I think also growing up poor, though I have, yes, I've got the surname, but there was a time in my life where my family, both of my parents were unemployed with four kids. Try living in a house where both parents do not work and there are four children and there's a bond and their cars and, the, and, and everything is, and the sheriff is knocking on the door and there is no food. Never mind the sheriff, there's no food to eat. That kind of trauma makes you fear poverty. So I detest poverty. Poverty is not something that is a glorified state of mind. I detest poverty because I understand it. Poverty takes away dignity. And what I live for is to create an ecosystem through business where poverty no longer exists in my Mm. own way. Take me back to that young faith um, at that part of your life where you were feeling, you know, you've experienced this trauma and, you know, at home there is no food. I know that you'd even go to churches and stand on queues to get food parcels and study under candlelights, etc., what were you feeling if you get to go there? What were you feeling in that moment, mm. in that phase of your life? Helpless. I think also my love to have some kind of control over my circumstances is because I hadn't, I did not have control over the reality that I was facing then. I could not control that my parents were not working. 
I could not control that we had to stand in a queue in churches so that we can get food parcels. I could not control that on Christmas Eve, two boys touched me inappropriately for no reason whatsoever. I could not control that I grew up in an abusive home when I used to watch my father beat up my mother consistently. I couldn't control any of that. And the feeling of helplessness that it brings about changes one, right? I think I've been very fortunate that at the time also, um, there was a decision that was made and I made a decision that I will not let this be my purpose. I will not let this be my reality. Yes, it's my circumstance, but it's not going to be my reality. It's not my destination. And because I made that choice, it, 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 funny enough, they say that when you, when you speak to the universe, the universe speaks back. And at that time, I said, I don't want this life for myself. I don't. I don't want this life. I don't want to feel helpless. I don't want to feel like I, I am in poverty. I don't want to. I, even, I was very specific. I said, I don't want to know how much milk costs. I don't want to know how much bread costs. I don't want to know how much groceries cost. And can I tell you, it is a decision that I made a very long time ago, till to this day, and I'm very fortunate. I don't know how much milk costs or bread costs. I, I just know that I need bread and milk. And simply because I made a decision of not knowing how much those things cost. But because it comes from a space where milk and bread were a luxury to me at one stage. Um, finding a 20 rand or two rand in, the, in one of the, the, I mean, we used to look around. When you used to look in pot plants, we used to look around in pot plants to see if maybe we left money there. By some chance, we would have left money there. Um, that was my reality. And, and now I don't want to have to leave money in pot plants so that I can find it at a rainy, on a rainy day. I don't want to know how much milk costs. Um, and that trauma defines one, but it also strengthens one, but it also makes one empathetic. I'm very empathetic to a person who does not have. I'm very empathetic to a person who knows what poverty feels like. I'm very empathetic to a woman who knows what it's like, and even a man, even boys who know what it's like to be violated. Because I often say that, especially for boys, oh, that's a conversation for another day. When a young boy is violated, even sexually, they become very angry, traumatized beings who are not able to have the language to articulate what has happened to them. And then they surround themselves with a community of boys that tell them, actually, it's a good thing that it happened to you. They were just, you should thank your lucky stars because she was older. So she technically took you through school. That's not school, it's called rape. Right. And and when we and then we get surprised why these little boys turn into angry, abusive men that we marry. Right. So there's a lot of things that need to be dug up. And that's why, as I said, trauma can either define you or trauma can actually catapult you into finding what your purpose is. And trauma has catapulted me to finding my purpose. How has the upbringing that you have especially those tough times of your childhood impacted your relationships with your parents relationships mm. with your teams and employees at work and how does it show up even in your career sure um i think with my parents we had to have the talk and this is how my talk went my talk was so this is what happened to me <laughs> okay guys this is what you, and, and you have to own it, right? I, I remember having conversations thoroughly with them um, to say I was sexually molested, you know, and thank God, I, I do thank God that I was never raped. I was not raped. But whatever it is those people did to me, those kids or those teenagers did to me, they shaped, it shaped me, right? And I had to have the talk and say, guys, this is what happened and it happened under your roof while you were there. Not in the room, but you were there. Mm. And it was a hard conversation to have because I had to forgive my parents. Then I had to have the talk of, you cannot 
you cannot as a child make me an adult and make me a, a mediator between two warring parents. Because a lot of times I had to play the media. I had to literally sit in between my parents and mediate them because one was going to throw a slap across the room and across the table. Very easy. It was something that was very normal, actually. Um, there would be times where I, till to this day, trauma. So I'm able to, to gauge voices because the voice at home between my parents would rise to a certain level and I used to know that at, what, at a specific level there will be silence and the silence does not mean that it's ended. The silence means that the, my father's now hitting my mother. That's how deep the trauma goes, right? So I, I have a, an attune to voices. I have an attune to understanding when inflections rise and how does it rise because of trauma. But I think, and, and I thank good God for therapy, that when you go to therapy, when you also acknowledge your weaknesses and you acknowledge your past, you don't let your past define you. So you say, look, because of so much trauma, I have got the capacity to be a very angry, bitter, oh, don't touch me kind of woman. Or I can be a woman who says, I've acknowledged my past. I don't take away from my past. My past actually helped me to become who I am in this own way. But I can be different to my past and I don't have to repeat the mistakes of my parents. Mm. I don't have to be an angry black woman. I don't have to be a woman that hates men. I love men. I'm the softest, right? But I am also assertive, right? Because I, I know that when something is nonsense, something is nonsense. And I call it out. I say, this is nonsense. Mm -hmm. If something is right, I'm the first person to embrace it and say it's right. So you, what you do is, first of all, you understand that there's brokenness. And I think a lot of us struggle with understanding that we are broken. Even entrepreneurs, we're broken people. People are, are entrepreneurs. Secondly, in our brokenness, we, 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 we almost are scared to get help. Get help. Mm -hmm. You know, get a therapist, get somebody to talk to about the traumas that you've experienced. Because trust you me, entrepreneurship is trauma alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not being able to pay the bills and the stuff is trauma. Um, but also, I think, get to a point where you forgive yourself and forgive others for what happened to you. I forgave myself. Even as a child, I mean, I've had to forgive myself for not fighting back. I know it sounds very dumb, but I used to, hit, I used to actually hate myself that as a 12-year-old girl, I did not fight those two boys. How was I going to fight them? But I had to forgive myself. And I had to forgive my parents. And I've had to forgive anybody else that's hurt me along the way. That's the only way you heal is through forgiveness. Mm. Sure. And I think you talk a lot about forgiveness because it's, it's a theme that has carried you through life. 100%. And something that's really, really important. I love that. That's really, really amazing. It's really, really powerful. Fast forward in your life and in your journey, you end up at YFM and one day DJ Swoo says, do you have a business and you're 21 and a light bulb moment for you and then you go and start your first recruiting business, which failed. What made that business fail and what are some of the biggest lessons that you took out from that? Oh, naivety and good work on your homework. Absolute naivety. Swoo said to me, and I will always love Swoo Cecilia before this one, he says, I don't understand, why, why don't you have a business? You're supposed to have a business. You can't just, he, he said something so profound. He said, you can't just be doing this alone mm. you have to diversify skill your skills have to, so what are you passionate about and of course at the time I just graduated with um, international relations and industrial psychology so I thought okay I'm gonna go into HR uh, first of all I wasn't passionate about it right it just seemed like the easiest thing to do because I understood it from school uh, second of all I think it it I was naive about what it took to be an entrepreneur and I'm glad it failed 
I, I am so glad that business failed because through the failure, I was able to try again and again mm-hmm. and again. And I think it's, it's okay for us. And we never say it as well to entrepreneurs. It's okay to fail. Just fail fast and fail forward. Mm-hmm. That's the trick to failure. If fail you were to pinpoint like five major reasons that made that business fail, what would they be? Oh, naivety. Mm-hmm. Um, not having any form of understanding what it takes to actually run a business. Um, not putting together a right team. I think that was a, a major one. Not putting together a right team. Not being passionate about what you're actually doing. Right? Because that's what carries you through the dark moments. The passion for what you're doing. Which is also aligned to your purpose. Um, and, and I also think just not having proper money, money management skills. Mm-hmm. Like just when you don't know how to manage money and you don't, I mean, I, did, I didn't do too badly. I had promo girls and I had, but it, I was just not passionate about it. And mm-hmm. because I was not passionate about it, it just, it, it failed. <laughs> sure. And you, you talk about passion and for you to be able to succeed, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. And it goes back to finding what that passion is or what some people would call a calling, some people would call purpose. And it's something that we just throw out there sometimes. And I feel like a lot of people don't get Mm. what that means. Mm. How did that show up in your space to say this is passion? How did you identify it to hear it to a point where you listened to it and you're now working in it? I often say, and this I've, I've heard time and time again, passion is found through what pains you. What pains me is not what pains you, Ansela. What moves me is not what moves you because we've got different purposes in life. We've got different passions. My passion was grounded in me when I could not provide for my family, where I saw lack in my home, where I saw... Um, just non-financial stability, when I saw insecurity, when my siblings, where I had to become a father figure to my siblings, right, because of another trauma, right, where I had to raise my siblings alongside my mother because my parents had just gotten divorced and my dad left and he left and never came back. That's what pained me, right? That was the pain that made me look at provision, for example, that made me look at finances. I'm passionate about financial security and independence, especially for young women, especially for women in general, because I know what it's like to be financially dependent Mm -hmm. and to have that dependency pulled from under your rug. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, I'm very, very assertive because it comes from pain. And when, when you understand, and I'm very, I'm very passionate about creating employment opportunities. I have to, we have to create employment. You know why? Because I had two parents that were not employed and I know the ramifications of not being employed. Mm. I know the ramifications of not being able to provide and put food on the table. It comes from pain, right? Mm. So these are the things that when I speak about it, it moves me. You have to create mm. employment. You have to, and how do you create employment? Through skills development. How do you develop your skills? Through prioritizing your human capital. How do you prioritize your human capital? Just through seeing them as oil resources. Do you see how it all has a story? Because it comes, the core foundation of it is what pains me. It moves me. It moves me in ways that, that, that I can't sleep over it. It pains me that about 3.2 or 3.4 million young people are not in education, not in employment, and not in training. That moves me Mm. because they're going to get tired of it. And what's going to happen the day that those young people get tired of not being uh, employed or not being uh, equipped and not being trained? 
something's going to happen and it's a ticking time bomb. It is an actual live ticking time bomb. Yeah. Most people get crippled by fear. Yeah. But in your story, it looks like fear is actually your motivator because you've lived it, you're afraid of it, you don't want it, and it keeps driving you forward and towards growth. At what point in your life did you realize being present? Because we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and this is how you run a business, this is how you should lead, this is how you should do ABC. But without understanding the importance of being fully present at any given point when you are in whatever space you're in, it's impossible to really grow the way you're supposed to. Mm. At what point did you say, like, did you first get that feeling? For me, it was really later in life. I think first when I was young and decided I was going to be a journalist and then later on when I was working as a journalist, then just one day, I remember the feeling where I was like, I've never been so attentive. I'm here, I'm feeling it. Like I felt some sort of rush in my body and for, for the first time in my life, I understood what being present felt like. Why, when was it for you? Or did you have a similar experience or something different? For you? Sure. I think, look, so first, I think I've always had to be present because there was so much going on in my early life, you know, as a teen through my family dynamics. So I've had to be present to <laughs> the brokenness. Mm -hmm. um, but I think also what really defined me and being present was when I was on the Yali program and I was in America and I was studying at the University of Texas in Austin. And I was sharing the storm with um, all amazing young people who were doing so much incredible work. And I felt like I was exactly where I was supposed to be at the time I was supposed to be at. And then there's a second time when um, I had to go and, and receive the news that Barack Obama had asked me to write a speech for him and to deliver it at Town Hall in Washington, D.C., to be in that room and to watch these people looking at me as if, what the heck is happening to you? I've had to be fully present. Um, and the third defining moment where I knew that this is bigger than me, when I was with the head of global security for um, the White House, I'll never forget his name, Brett Bruin, and he was assigned to me as, obviously because at the time, I was the person who's gonna deliver a speech for Obama, so we need to protect her, <laughs> right? So I had to spend the whole day with him, just, and I was not allowed to talk to, and I was not allowed to be in a space where I was with anybody. I had to just literally be him and me. And I remember we were in a closed room and we were doing rehearsals, and I was on the stage and he sat there with his arms folded and he looked at me and he said, again, and then I'd do the speech and he went again, and then I'd do the speech. And I realized at that moment I was, uh, that the head of global security, global security does not sit in a room and watch you do your thing. And it's just so that you can write home about it or you can tweet about it. That does not happen. There's a reason why things like that line up. There's a reason why you're sitting with the White House's global security person and they are assigned to guide you for the day. Um, and they're sitting here listening to your speech. It's because there is something inside of you that needs to be birthed that is bigger than you. And I remember at that moment, my, my constant reverberation is, let me just, let me rise to the occasion, let me rise to the moment, and let me be in that moment. And I remember the song, and I, as I said, I'm a Christian girl, the, the song that was playing at the time that I was playing on a loop was um, Oceans by Hillsongs. And it was, Spirit, lead me to where my trust is without borders, let me walk upon the waters, wherever you may call me, right? 
we say these things, we sing these songs, but the truth is when you're walking on water and your trust is without borders, that's a scary place to be. And for the first time in my life, I was fully present to the fact that there is something bigger that controls me and there's something bigger that I'm created for. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. And I think when you reach such high spaces in your career or get so elevated, sometimes it could be easy to start comparing your, your yourself with other people. Um, uh, I was talking to you earlier about how I'm so proud of this little podcast that we launched two weeks ago and we've already had almost 8,000 views. I'm like, small victories, yay! <laughs> because I it, that's my way of staying put where I am and staying on my own race because mm. I'm like every little milestone um, that's worth celebrating, I'm going to celebrate because it's easy to have your head turned mm. because so mm. many people in the world are amazing and they're doing amazing things. And I think you'll see it even in, in big spaces, meaning that if you don't accept yourself and who you are and that your journey is yours, you you'll get lost very quickly in your life. So self self acceptance is really key in that way. Like I I heard once before that like for example, um, Beyonce can never be Michael Jackson no matter what she does because she can never stand there and say people were fainting just at mm. my sight before mm. you know before there was even the internet. But Michael Jackson also can can never say. I'm, I could be like Beyonce because mm -hmm. Beyonce, listen, she's Queen B. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who, who else can say I'm Queen B um, the way Beyonce can? But both of those artists have made such a huge impact in our world and ran their own races incredibly so multi-awards. Um, all of us look up to them, but they all had their own individual journeys and parts that are different. So it's always important to remember that you've got your own path and your own journey that you need to take and celebrate your journey for what it is learn from others that's key but celebrate yourself no matter what so thank you so much for always celebrating yourself mm -hmm. and celebrating others around you and being the voice of reason in this world so when we finish the this podcast we like to play what we call fast five so this is when i ask you five questions you can answer them in a sentence or two or a word if you think you can and just five questions that we okay. run through fast right are you ready All right. <laughs> um what's one word or sentence that could describe your state of state of mind right now surrendered surrendered i love it what's one thing that you used to value that you no longer value Ooh, yeah, that is a very good one. Something I used to value that I no longer value. Mm. Mm. Being accepted. Yeah, I think being accepted. I think, I think a lot, I, I'd struggle, this is a sentence, but I would struggle with wanting everybody to like me. Maybe that should be the same. Being liked. I used to struggle with it. I used to want everybody to like me. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm somebody's cappuccino though. So you, you spoke earlier about how you where had the opportunity to be handpicked by Obama's team to be the girl to deliver the speech and introduce him. And this is with other amazing Africans. I think about 500 in the room. Yeah. But you were the one that was picked and identified. How do you set yourself apart from the rest when you're only amongst creams, but then you still set yourself apart? Sure. Um... 
till to this day, I, I don't know. And, and I know that it sounds like a very, you're supposed to know. All I did was to be me. Be authentically you. And when you are authentically you, somebody notices. I cannot be anybody else. I don't want to be anybody else. And I was not anybody else. I was still very goofy. I'm very goofy. I was a goofy, I was being goofy faith at the time that I was being picked. So be authentically you and be authentically true and trust you me. Somebody notices. And finally, what's the biggest shift that you've had in your life that has impacted who you are today? There have been so many. <laughs> if you had to choose one and say the this. biggest, biggest shift. Sure. Um, I think it was. No, I have to I have to I have to go back to that time again. The biggest shift, because it defined it, it really set the place for who I was. It was studying in, in Texas, having those chocolate chip cookies at nighttime, and and having to understand that I'm created for something bigger than me. It was being in a space where I knew that just my work alone could not get me there, that there had to be something else, a stronger arm, a bigger arm that was guiding my spotlight. Mm. So that defined me because I knew that I was created for something bigger. That's awesome. Thank you so much. This was amazing. If you don't already follow Faith on social media, please make sure that you do so because, listen, those gems keep on coming on social media. If you haven't subscribed to this channel, what are you waiting for? As you can see, we give you great content every Monday evening. So thank you for watching. Until next time, goodbye. From the Cliffside Boutique Getaway, this podcast is for all entrepreneurs, leaders, and genies who are looking to learn from those who've walked the path to success. Thank you so much for your support and stay tuned to more Access Genie. New episodes drop every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course on YouTube. Follow us on social media and share this podcast with your friends and your family so they too can be empowered. I hope you're living with a newfound source of energy to go after that life that you want. Good luck.